Hi there, welcome to the Kids Way Podcast. We are a podcast committed to helping kids stay in the way of the King. And if you've never heard of King Jesus, well get ready, you are going to love Him. We pray that you would also learn more about what it means to be on His narrow way. We also use various tools to encourage and teach, from fictional stories to scripture reading, to music and sometimes even bringing in some kids to contribute. You can find us online at www.kidsway.ca and there you will find links to our Facebook page and also other info about Kidsway. Before getting into today's episode, we want to thank Jamie Souls for allowing us to use his wonderful music collection. If you would like to check out more of Jamie's music, you can find him at soulmusic.ca. That's www.solmusic.ca. Well, let's get to the story. We pray you are encouraged and pointed to King Jesus through today's episode. Hey there, welcome back to the Kids Way Podcast. Today we will continue looking at our study in the letter of James regarding prayer and specifically praying for the sick. Now last time we began looking at James' instructions to the sick and we first saw that when James is talking about sickness, he's not only talking about physical sickness, which we certainly can and should pray for, But James is also talking about a spiritual form of sickness that comes as the result of unrepentant sin in our hearts before God. And so we'll see in today's lesson that James really focuses in on that particular problem of sin in the life of the Christian and the way in which we are to deal with that. So we'll see in this instruction, first of all, the command to confess our sins, and even at times to confess our sins one to another. And we'll see the incentive that James gives us, or the motivation, if you will, that he gives us for prayer in confessing our sin. And then we'll also see a wonderful example or illustration of this sort of prayer in the life of an Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And if you have been working through your catechism questions, you will remember how we learn about the way in which God made us as man and woman in that he made man and woman, the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, he made them holy and happy. And yet as they rebelled against God and they disobeyed his commandment, they came into a state of sin and misery. And so part of the effects of our rebellion or our sin against God is that we now experience sickness, not only physically 
in our bodies, but we experience the even deeper sickness of our souls due to sin, this uh, disobedience against God and his word, and this results in death, really. Even we find in the, in the letter of James earlier on that uh, sin brings forth death as its final effect. So as we see Christ coming to the world, Jesus joins a human nature like you and I have to his divine nature becoming man. Jesus perfectly obeys the law of God and we see in Christ he begins to display the kingdom of God in that he is reversing the effects of sin in the world. And so we see Jesus do this physically, but also spiritually. Many times Jesus healed people, whether it was of leprosy or someone who was born that couldn't walk, and Jesus heals them and enables them to walk again. Some people maybe had a, a hand that was not working right, and he would heal them, or they couldn't hear, and Jesus would touch their ears, or he would touch their eyes and they could hear for the first time or see for the first time. And so Jesus is showing that his kingdom is going to come into this world and is going to reverse all the effects of sin. And this is really made possible as Jesus not only obeys perfectly the law of God, but he goes to the cross where he suffers and dies to atone for or pay for our sin, and he purchases this uh, new heavens, new earth, the, the, the fullness of God's kingdom coming into the earth. And this is why Paul would describe Jesus, if you remember, in Romans um, 5 as the new Adam. You see, he's coming to begin to reverse the effects and to establish a new heavens, new earth. So, as Christians, when we encounter the effects of sin, which, you know, sickness, uh, we encounter the effects of, of um, uh, sinfulness against God in our own hearts and souls, what are we supposed to do? How do we deal with that in our life or in the life of the church, in the life of others? So we already have seen last time that when we are experiencing these sicknesses, that we are to call for help. We are to seek out the elders of the church or those who are spiritually mature, and we are to receive prayer that we are to ask them to, to pray for us, that God would restore us. And we see today then that James says we should also confess our sin and that if we confess our sin one to another, that we will be forgiven. Now, what does it mean to confess our sin? What does it mean to repent? We hear of these words, but maybe we don't always understand what they mean. Well, if you remember, again, your catechism questions from the uh, Catechism for Boys and Girls, uh, which is coming from the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, question 23 asks, um, what is sin? What is sin? And the answer to that question is any transgression of the law of God. Even as John says in 1 John that sin is lawlessness. 
So when we talk about sin, we're talking about disobedience of God's law to not do what God has commanded or to do what God has said we should not do. So it can go either in the positive or negative sense, doing what we should not do or failing to do what God has called us to. Question 24 asks, what is meant by transgression? And it just clarifies that transgression means doing what God forbids. So what does this mean in light of James's command to confess our sin? Well, this means that we must study the word of God, the law of God. We must learn what are his commandments, what are the things that he forbids us to do so that we might properly confess our sin before God and receive the forgiveness that he has promised and also in praying for one another, knowing how to pray and and, uh, and, and what sort of things to, to uh, confess to God and uh, counseling even friends or family members that may ask us um, if something is right or wrong. Do you remember how Jesus summarized the law of God? He summarized the law by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said that is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment, do you remember what the second commandment is that Jesus gave, which is a summary of the law? It is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what is Jesus doing in those two commandments? Well, what he is doing is giving a summary of the Ten Commandments. Now, sometimes people refer to the two tables of the law, and that's not like a table that you eat your breakfast on. It's more of a table in that it's a, a collection of commands, like a list in a way. And as we look at the Ten Commandments, do you remember the Ten Commandments? Uh, something that's good to commit to memory. The first commandment is that we should have no other gods before us. Secondly, that we're to have no idols or graven images. We're not to, to make a, a representation of God and, and worship it in any way. That would be idolatry. The third commandment is we shall not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. So we are to honor the name of God. We're not to use it in a joking or mocking way. Or some people use the name of God or of Jesus to even swear or to curse. We're to never do that as the children of God. The fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day holy. And we remember uh, the, the resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week. And so we don't gather on Saturday. We gather on Sunday as the Lord's Day, this day that has been established in the new covenant as uh, a time for the Christian church to gather and to bring our offerings to God and to worship and study his word and break bread together. So these first four commandments can be referred to as the first table of the law. And so when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he in many ways is capturing the, the essence or the main point of those first four commandments. They're all about our relationship with God and helping us understand what it means to love God. And so we can use the law, we'll use these commandments as a way to understand possible areas of sin or disobedience in our life. 
we can ask ourselves questions like, are there other things that I prize or treasure more than God? One way to discern that in your own heart is ask yourself, what is it that you tend to think about a lot? Or what is it that even you get most excited about? And we realize that we can begin to look to almost anything as a form of a God in our life and sometimes even good things. It could be something like, you know, a brand new Lego set that you really want and you're just constantly thinking about it and and it it consumes all of your thoughts and it's what you get most excited about and, and realize even things like that can begin to take a place of love within our hearts. As you get bigger, maybe it's a a new vehicle or a house or uh, a new tool or maybe, uh, you know, my my wife uh, really enjoys cooking and so she, maybe a a new stove or oven or a a set of dishes, you know, even even good things like our children or a pet or uh, a sport that you really enjoy, you know, we can, we can be guilty of of beginning to set our love and affection upon all sorts of things. But you see, the Bible is clear that God is to be the utmost in our love and affections. And so you see how we can begin to use the commandments to test ourselves. And as we find areas where we know we have sinned against God, James is saying, you need to confess that. And sometimes it's helpful to even to confess your sin to a, a mom or dad or uh, a leader in the church, someone that you respect. This is a way of, of bringing that into the light of God's word and then uh, exposing it for what it is that we might turn from it and pray and ask God to help us walk in obedience to his word. So the second table of the law, Jesus summarizes by Love your neighbor as yourself. And what are the remaining six commandments? Well, commandment five is to honor your father and your mother. And that's especially applicable for those who are still at home and living under the care of their mom and dad. You are commanded by God to honor your father and mother. Do you show respect to them? Do you have a a love for them and honor them as, as those whom God has put over you to care for you and to instruct you. You see, when we obey our mom and dad, there's a sense in which we're also obeying God. Now, of course, uh, our, again, our priority is to obey God, so we would, never, we would never sin against God if our mom or dad told us to. I, I hope and pray that, that uh, your mom and dad love the Lord, um, but, but we always have to test everything against the word. So if someone ever tells us or asks us to do something, that is a violation of God's word, then we, do, we don't do that because we obey God uh, rather than men. But there still should be, even if mom and dad uh, are, are sinning or do not love the Lord, or sometimes, you know, as a father, I can be guilty of becoming too angry towards my children or saying rude things. Uh, and so I need to ask for forgiveness from them. But there should still be this attitude of, of honoring them. Um, not saying rude and mean things to them or disrespecting them. So that's the fifth commandment, honor father and mother. It's the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount that hatred in your heart towards someone is really where murder even starts. So we can ask ourselves, is there somebody that I'm 
hating in my heart that I am always angry at and I want bad things to happen to them. You see, we have to confess that to God and repent of that. We shall not commit adultery is number seven. And so we have to honor God's design for marriage, that within marriage, um, there, there is, uh, you know, God has, has created it to be a place of, of friendship and love and intimacy for a, a man and a woman. Um, but outside of that, then we need to guard our eyes and our thoughts and be careful what we look at today on the internet, on YouTube, or even in a lot of movies. There's just a lot of inappropriate pictures and images, and we have to guard our minds. We have to guard our eyes and be careful with what we look on. So we're not guilty of breaking this commandment. The next commandment is, you shall not steal, which I think we understand what that means. We do not take things that do not belong to us, whether it's a brother or sister, a mom or dad or a friend, or maybe from the grocery store. We don't take what we have not paid for, what we have not earned, or someone has not given to us. That is to steal. And we also find the commandment, the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so we don't say things that aren't true about those around us, those close to us. We want to speak the truth. And closely tied to this, we find in the New Testament that we're not to gossip about one another. We're not to, to spread rumors or um, information that, that it can be hurtful to someone. We want to speak about others in the same way we want them to speak about us. Finally, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, which is just not wanting things that aren't yours, looking at the, the, the cool toys that your friend has or how much money they might have or the nice car or house or whatever it might be that we don't allow our hearts to, to go after these things. And so th this all is part of what it means to love neighbor. And we know that in and of ourselves, we can't obey God's law. In fact, Paul says that if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't even know what sin is. That this, the, the law of God, it exposes sin in us and even can cause our, our, our sinful flesh to, to sin all the more. And this is why we need the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for his perfect obedience to the law, but then his sacrifice, which takes away our guilt and our shame. And through Jesus, we are counted righteous. We are forgiven. And as followers of Christ, as those who have been born of the Spirit, we are now enabled to begin walking in obedience to the law. And part of that process is through confession. So those are all helpful things as we think about James's instruction to confess our sins. We use the Word of God to help us understand what sin is and what God requires of us. And we understand that it is only in Christ that we experience forgiveness and righteousness. And now we're motivated by love for God to also love our neighbor. And we can pray and ask God to help us by his Holy Spirit to walk in these things and to expose us, even as David would pray to search my heart, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me. We ought to pray that to God as well, to search our hearts and show us areas where we need to confess. And 
going to our brothers and sisters in Christ, asking them to pray for us, at times confessing sin to them so they might also lift us up to the throne of grace. So we see the instruction to confess, and we look also in James' letter, we find the incentive or the motivation for this prayer. James says that the prayer of a righteous man is has great power as it is working. God answers prayer. When we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, the power of God, God is pleased to act and to work. He is able to forgive us. And, and we know that, that there are times when God chooses not to answer a prayer for maybe physical healing, but then God may also choose to answer that prayer. And so we are to ask him to bring all of our requests and petitions before him and to trust in his goodness and his sovereignty. You know, we actually have examples in the New Testament of times God chose not to heal. Um, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach in 1 Timothy 5.23, which would have been seen as a form of medicine in that time, something to help calm his stomach. And, and yet we don't, we don't see Paul there simply healing him through prayer, but instructing him to, to use some means for help. We know in 2 Timothy 4.20, for example, Paul left Trophius, which was a guy's name, Trophius, uh, a different name from maybe what we're used to. But we're told he left him at, my t- at Miletus because he was ill. And so Paul, in that time, did not heal him immediately. I'm sure he probably prayed for him and uh, was asking God to restore him, but he left him there in this town uh, because he was sick. Of course, we know also in 2 Corinthians twelve seven, Paul himself, we're told, had a thorn in his flesh, which was a way of Paul saying something that was, that was ailing him, uh, maybe a sickness. Some speculate maybe it was really poor eyesight. We're not sure exactly what Paul meant by a thorn in his flesh, but something in his body that was sick or weak, and he asked God to restore him three times. And yet God told Paul that he was not going to answer that prayer, but that his grace was sufficient for Paul and that God was showing his own strength through Paul's weakness. And so we have to trust that even when God doesn't answer prayers as we want, that he is still working things for our eternal good, our conformity to the image of Christ. And we certainly know that when we truly come to God and confess our sin and, and pray for forgiveness, as, as John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that when we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a wonderful promise that when we come in confession and repentance, God says he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do you believe God answers prayers? Do you believe that God forgives us and is able to uh, restore? We pray because we believe that God hears us through Christ and that God is able to answer. Um, and, And we see then finally this letter from James, an illustration of this prayer. And he gives the example of the prophet Elijah. We find this account in 1 Kings 17.1 where Elijah comes onto the scene and tells the wicked king Ahab that it's not going to rain, that God is sending drought 
as a form of punishment upon Israel because of their unbelief. They're they're worshiping the false gods, the god, the false god called Baal. And Elijah comes calling them to repent, calling them to turn away. What's interesting is we don't find in First Kings uh, an account of Elijah's prayer, but through James, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we find that that prayer was involved even in the beginning. Um, when, when before that announcement came to King Ahab, Elijah had prayed to God and asked him to intervene uh, so that the nation would turn away from this Baal worship. And we might think, well, yeah, but Elijah was like a superman. You know, he, he was so uh, special and, 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 and unusual um, power and gifting. And certainly we see God use him in miraculous ways. But James says that he had a nature like ours. You see, we shouldn't conclude that we don't pray like Elijah prayed, bold prayers for God to work miraculously and to bring about repentance even in the nations of the world. Uh, we pray and we see that Elijah prayed, though he had a nature like ours. He was a man with flesh and, blo- flesh and bone. He, he had an initially a, a fallen nature after Adam, and it was by the grace of God that he trusted the Lord. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that he believed God and feared God and even prayed these bold prayers. And so James is saying we should pray boldly, confidently to God, even as Elijah prayed. And we find that later Elijah in that account in 1 Kings also prayed that God would send rain upon the earth. And we're told that he after he had prayed and God sent down the fire upon the mountain to consume the sacrifice, that Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 18.41, he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and he prayed to God. And seven times he told the servant to go to the edge of the mountain and look for an answer to, to this prayer. And it wasn't until the seventh time the servant went out and he said he saw a small cloud on the horizon, the small, as small as his hand as it appeared in the sky. But Elijah knew that God had answered his prayer and that rain was on its way. And so we find a wonderful illustration of prayer in the life of Elijah. So let us follow in the instruction that James gives to be quick to confess our sin, to even ask others to pray for us and confess it to one another. James says that we will be healed, we will be forgiven and restored. Let us believe that God answers prayer and hears our prayer through Christ. And let us consider the wonderful example and illustration of Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, but bold in coming to God in prayer, even asking that God would turn the nation from idolatry and the worshiping of false gods. And through Elijah, the entire nation saw that God is the one true God and the false gods of Baal were nothing. So I hope that encourages you to also turn from sin, to confess to God, to pray, and to to come boldly even as Elijah did. We'll stop there for this time. I hope you join in next time on the Kids Way podcast. But you are Lord.
your shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. 